0: Hi, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and I have the honor to introduce today's message to you. Greatness, it's something that all of us chase after, but not all of us achieve. Men and women that have served in the military, but especially those who have died in combat, have the mark of greatness. And so join us as we ask the question, you've got what it takes, and figure out what greatness really means. Good morning to you on this wonderful Memorial Day weekend. How many of you would use that word to describe this weekend? Wonderful. Yes. Okay. But, um, and so I thought, well, since it's Memorial Day weekend and this is the weekend where we remember those who have died in combat, what better thing to talk about than to look at a place in the Bible where we have some soldiers going on. And I've mentioned, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I talked about where we were going to be at this morning and, and, uh, and the scripture we were going to look at today. And, uh, and so what we're going to be looking at is David's mighty men. That's who we're going to be talking about today. And uh, we're going to, there's our men that fought valiantly for David. Now, if you're new to church and you're saying to yourself, who on earth is David? Because I've got a brother-in-law named David, and he's kind of a jerk. And so if we're talking about his valiant man, I am out of here. Well, we're not talking about your brother-in-law, David. We're talking about David, the second king of the nation of Israel. He was the king who reigned over 3,000 years to years ago, and his rise to power was not simple. His rise to power was not easy. He was anointed king before the previous king had died. We talked about this as we did a message on uh, David's life in our, in our rehab series, and uh, he was anointed king before his predecessor had died, and so he had all kinds of battles. He had all sorts of fights. He had all sorts of wars that he had to go into and fight and battle in order to get the kingship, and the men who joined them as we saw in our previous series, were the men who were in debt. They were distressed and discontented. And, we're, and so in our events this morning, we're going to, going to see how these men became something great. They probably lived up to and passed their wildest potential. And so let's look at the lives of these soldiers and see what they can speak to us today. We are going to be in the book of 2 Samuel this morning, and we're going to be in chapter 23, if you're curious to where the book of Samuel is at, it's about a third of the way through your Bible. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, don't know where it's at, have you, whatever, it's going to be on the screen behind me for you to be able to follow along. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 24 this morning. And uh, this is what it says, chapter 23 of 2 Samuel. Uh, these are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joseph, Bash-Hebeth, uh, Tachamanite. I think that's right, Tachamanite was chief of three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eliazar, son of Dodai, the Ahoite. That doesn't sound good at all, does it? Um, as one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pass Damim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eliars, Eli. "'Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines "'till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. "'The Lord brought about a great victory that day. "'The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. "'Next to him was Shema, son of Egi, the Herorite. "'When the Philistines banded together at a place "'where there was a field full of lentils, "'Israel's troops fled them.'" But Shema took his stand in the middle of the field, he defended it, and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gates of Bethlehem. So three men, three, war, three mighty warriors, broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gates of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? Is this not the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? And David could not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. Abishai, the brother of Joab, son of Zariah, was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed and so he became as famous as the three. Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander even though he was not included among them. Benaiah, son of Jehoiach, Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada he too was as famous as the three mighty warriors he was held in greater honor than any of the 30 but he was not included among the three and David and put put him in charge of his bodyguard and then among the 30 and then the writer proceeds to list out the other 30 names of the men who had served valiantly with David uh, which for the sake of time uh, we are not going to look at here and so when you think about it some of these exploits in there they're pretty crazy aren't they I mean, you think about the things that they talk about. One guy went out and took on 800 dudes, okay? This guy wasn't playing around. He was no joke. How he did not become a part of the Avengers, I do not understand because any guy who can fight 800 people and win should be an Avenger. All right, yeah, somebody else is feeling it with me. All right, another guy did not retreat when everyone else did, Uh, except for David, and he fought until his hand cramped up to where he couldn't even drop his sword because his hand wouldn't release. I mean, picture this guy just fighting until his hand is cramped to his sword and he can't open his hand. That's wild and crazy right there as well. Now, there was another guy who didn't retreat, fought off the Philistines in a field of peas. Those must have been some good peas to not retreat from. However, I have never found a pea that tasted good, and so I don't know why he defended the pea field. How about the dude that fought and killed 300 men with a spear? Then there's this dude who fought two men, a lion in a pit on a snowy day, and later fought a giant Egyptian. And then in one of the weirdest parts of this accomplishments, we have the guys who broke through the enemy lines, crawled up to the gate at the city of Bethlehem, and poured a glass of water, and then brought it back to the king. I mean, think about that. That's, I mean, that, that's commitment, that's bravery there, that's... Probably stupidity, if you really think about it, because you're just going for a glass of water. Is your life worth the risk of a glass of water? And some of you are, you're listening to that and going, yeah, that's kind of cool, that's kind of interesting, but, you know, that was so long ago, we don't really know if that really happened. That couldn't have happened. And so let me turn to an event uh, that this one does not come from the Bible. It comes from the U.S. Army in the Vietnam War. I want to tell you about an Army specialist, Leslie H. Sabo, Jr., of Elwood City, Pennsylvania. I cannot say the name Elwood City, Pennsylvania without chuckling. Does anyone know why? Oh my goodness. Jake and Elwood, the Blues Brothers? That's all I could think of when I read Elwood was the movie The Blues Brothers. I don't know. But anyways, he was from Elwood City, Pennsylvania and was serving with U.S. US forces near the village of San in eastern Cambodia on May 10th of 1970 when his unit was ambushed and nearly overrun by North Vietnamese forces. Fellow soldiers testified that the rifleman charged up from the rear, grabbed an enemy grenade and tossed it away using his body to shield a fellow soldier from the blast. Shrugging off his own injuries. Shrugging off a grenade blast, he began, um, he began his own attack. He pulled the pin on his own grenade and despite being severely wounded by weapons fire, he began to crawl straight towards the enemy bunker, its machine guns blazing. Les kept crawling, kept pulling himself along closer and closer to that bunker as the bullets blazed and hit the ground all around him, flew over his head, and he crawled up with this grenade, waited until the last possible second, knowing that this grenade was going to take his own life, and threw it into this group of North Vietnamese, silencing the gunfire. He was remembered by being awarded the Medal of Honor by President Obama. And so what do these events have in common? See, when we think about these sorts of things, when we memorialize stuff like this, these soldiers that fought in 2 Samuel, these soldiers that have fought not only for our country but for other countries throughout history and time have something in common. They're linked together with something called greatness. Greatness. And see, when you look at the lives of soldiers, it teaches us what greatness is like, what greatness is about, what it means to be someone and something great. And what I know about everyone in this room right now is that everyone in this room looks at their life and they say to themselves, you know what, I want to be someone great. I want my life to count, I want my life to make a difference, I want to achieve amazing things but a lot of times what we do to achieve that greatness, what we do to get to that level are usually things that in fact don't help us get to the level of greatness that we are looking for. But in the lives of these soldiers, we see some of what it takes and in doing this, And practicing these things that we're going to talk about today and implementing them into our lives. We can walk off of the battlefield knowing that we have done something great. And some of you are saying, wait a minute, hold on, you just said the word battlefield. And I mentioned this in our rehab series. And one of the things that we need to constantly remember and never forget is that in life, our life is a constant battle and fight. Whether you walk with Jesus or you don't walk with Jesus, you are stepping up and stepping out into a battle zone each and every single day. Some people fight demons and monsters that are inside of them, that are trying to control their life, that are trying to cause them to ruin and wreck their life. Others of us, we have forces from the outside. Those of us who follow Jesus, we've got a whole enemy arraignment coming against us, battling against us, fighting us, trying to destroy us. They are called powers and principalities. And it talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realm. See, there's spiritual forces that have declared war against us, against our lives, and if we are a follower of Jesus, they are doing everything that they can to take us out. And I know that that word, take us out, it sounds really intense, and I'm sure when I said the word take us out, probably you, you thought back to that, that story I had just told about the guy from Vietnam, and you're picturing Satan with guns blazing, firing away at us as we're crawling up, throwing hand grenades, planes flying over, dropping bombs, and you've got this intense picture in your mind where you can almost smell the gunpowder in the air because of the battle that's going on around you. But what we have to understand as believers, that's not how our attack comes. Much of the time, our enemy, Satan, is attacking us by a much subtler method of attack. See, we walk around looking for something supernatural, catastrophic, or overtly evil to come at us. And yes, Satan is all over that stuff, but he directs covert operations all the time, and he is subtle. He is subtle in our marriages. He is subtle in our homes. He is subtle in our church, in our ministry, and in our life. And he has to be, because we are wise enough and smart enough to see the big things, aren't we? We are wise enough and smart enough to see the overtly demonic and evil stuff coming against us, but what we have a lot of time, a hard time focusing on a lot of the time, is those small things, is those subtle things, is those, those different things that come at, co- comes at us. He suggests Doubt. Doubt in God, doubt in ourself, doubt in the success of a, God's given, in a God-given plan and God's ability to meet our needs according to his glorious riches, etc. I mean, the first words to Eve were planting seeds of doubt. Did God really say? He tempts us to pass judgment, pass judgment against our leaders, against another believer and their motives, even against ourselves. He plants seeds of fear. We talked about this last week. And fear can cause us to do things our faith would never allow. He can convince us to isolate ourselves because he knows there's greater power when believers work together in harmony, so he does his best to keep us from having real relationships with one another. He makes sure we get offended. He makes sure that we don't feel like we're appreciated. He makes sure that we feel like we're overlooked. He gets us used to gossip and slander and thinks that because we don't commit the big sins that we have arrived, meanwhile, the small sins ravish our lives. He makes suggestions. He twists the truth. He takes full advantage of our weakness. He manipulates us and maneuvers us to the place of our greatest weakness in order to take us out. And that's the battlefield we are on, and that's the battlefield we are called to face. But see, God has not called us to be victims of the enemy attack. God has not called us to lay there and let that happen. Instead, God has called, he has spoken into each one of our lives and he says, I have you destined for great things in my kingdom. I have you destined for greatness in the kingdom of God, but you have to be willing to take what what you need to accomplish those great things. And so let's look at a few things that were here in our text this morning that are common with men and women who have given their lives to service of our country that we can use to live up to our fullest potential and be great. And the first thing is that in order to do something great, we have to be willing to take risks. I mean, just think about this, the stuff that we read. How much risk does it take to say, you know what, there's 800 guys out there, I'm all by myself, I'm just going to step out here and fight all 800 people. How much risk is involved in that? I don't know if anyone in this room would be willing to take that sort of risk. Now, I guess if you were in combat and your life depended on it and you had no choice, you would give it a shot. But most of us aren't looking, going around looking for 800 dudes to fight, are we? I hope not, because if you do, There's some counseling sessions I will set up with you for Marie with Maurice for you. Okay? Or fighting until your hand is frozen to a sword. I mean, how much risk is that? Because all of us have had our body parts cramp up in here, right? Everybody's gotten cramps. They're painful and they hurt. Well, just imagine your hand holding a sword and you're having to fight and battle and your hand and your muscles are cramped up in your hand so that you can't even release it, the pain, and yet he continued to risk it and battle on. We already talked about the foolishness of the guys uh, who went to the city of Bethlehem and put their life on a line for a glass of water. Um, Stepping in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, that involved huge risk, and it seems kind of odd why they would even mention him stepping into a lion with a pit, or into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. That's harder to say than you think it is. Um. Because one, obviously this lion had to have been some sort of threat to them, because why else would he have gone and gotten into this pit? And the second thing is, that the snowy day part is important to remember. Because 3,000 years ago, they didn't have the kind of boots and shoes that we have now that we can step out into snow and have traction and be able to get our footing and be able to fight. The lion had the clear advantage with his paws and his claws against some guy who was probably wearing leather strips on his feet. And yet this guy said, you know what, I don't care. I'm gonna step down I'm gonna take the risk I'm gonna fight the lion and I'm gonna put him to death but for many of us when we read things about that when we read stuff like this we think to ourselves these dudes are crazy I would never do anything like that instead of saying oh man there's a lion in a pit and it's near our camp I got to do something about it we say Dang, there's a lion in a pit, I gotta go find somebody to do something about it, right? (laughs) I mean, that's how we do things, and we live in a society now that is becoming more and more risk averse. We don't think risks are worth it. We ask the question, not if I take this chance, what good can come out of it, but we look at everything through the eyes And the perspective of failure, what if it goes wrong? What if I have to fail? And we think to ourselves, man, I don't want to fail because that would make me a failure, so we don't take risks. What they have done is they have studied people, and what they have found is that the people who are less likely to take risks in life are actually the people who miss out on the most and put themselves at the greatest risk. Think about that. The reason that what happens is that people, when they become fearful of taking risks and fearful of failure, it freezes them. It handicaps them. It doesn't allow them to do anything. And we've raised a a generation of children to live under the fear of taking risks. Because we believe, well, if we do everything we can to mitigate risk, then our child won't fail, our child won't get hurt, our child won't do any of this stuff. I remember, when I was a kid, it was a rite of passage to break a bone, okay? Everybody had to break a bone. Now kids don't break bones that much anymore. I mean, I feel like a bad parent because I had one kid who broke their arms, and then I had another kid who broke their foot. And I'm like, everybody else seems to not have kids breaking bones all over the place like we did. But see, this is part, taking risks and failing are, is part of our growth process. Children need to experience failure in order to develop properly. Avoiding risks is not a good thing. It's not the way God intended us to live free from risk. Instead, if we are called to live like Jesus, and our, um, Jesus is a risk-taking God. See, the chapters of the Bible are filled with God taking risks. I mean, even from the very beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Him creating the heavens and the earth was a risk, but then he took an even greater risk and he took a man and a woman and he placed it on that creation and he said, you know what? You've got the choice, you've got the freedom to live your life however you want to. Here's my rule, you can choose to follow it or you can choose not to, huge risk. Guess what happened? It ended in a failure for God, because Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they fell, they did what they weren't supposed to do, and, and, and here we go. This is why we're in the state that we're in. This is why we got the mess that we got right now in the world, okay? But beyond that, you can just turn through page after page after page in the Bible. And you see God continually challenging men and women of faith to step out and take risks. If we want to accomplish great things, we have to take risks. We have to step out. We have to be willing to bet the farm. And I am not saying let's all be dumb and do really dumb stuff and put our life at risks, risk. But we have to understand that greatness does not come to us by sitting there and asking someone else to take risks so that we don't have to. All of these soldiers, the people that have died, they took risks so that somebody else didn't have to, and that's part of what made them great. A second thing about greatness is that it will always involve commitment. Not just a commitment, but the highest level of commitment and that it involves putting one's life and reputation on the line. All of these soldiers that we read about today, all of these soldiers that are going to be remembered tomorrow on Memorial Day, fully committed to the mission that was at hand. None of them stepped up and about halfway through said, oh snap this is a bad idea. I should have done something else. I shouldn't have done this with my life. I shouldn't have committed to this. I should have committed to that. They all took their commitment. They took it seriously. They did not walk away. They didn't say my hand is hurting so I gotta stop. They didn't say there's too many guys out there so I gotta stop. They didn't say that lion can eat me so I gotta stop. They didn't say that Egyptian is too big so I gotta stop. They continued with their commitment and they pushed forward with that commitment. They understood that greatness was a commitment with an all or nothing proposition and they went for it and it led them to greatness. And so if we want to be great in this room, we need to check our level of commitment. And I believe this is one of the biggest things hurting Jesus in the advance of his kingdom in this modern world. Because we have so many options available to us. And so we avoid commitment because, well, this option's okay, but if this option, this option, or this option, or maybe even this option become available, I don't want to be committed to this option over here because I want one of these, And so we do what we can to avoid committing to things. People will not commit to serving Jesus for an hour on a Sunday morning at church. Why? Well, what if I don't want to be there that Sunday? What if it's nice out? I think the, I mean, it's rained the last three Sundays, okay? So you can forget about it being nice on Sundays for a while, all right? We're just going to, we're going to keep praying that God will keep it raining on Sundays, all right? All right? commitment is huge. Huh? You'd be at the beach. Carol would be at the beach right now if it wasn't for the rain. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) All right, but we avoid commitment because we want something or we hope that something better will come along. We think that commitment to Jesus should never interfere or come in conflict with our agendas, but that's not the case. I mean, think of these men that we looked at. Did they have families at home that were important to them? Yes, they did. Did they have obligations and bills to pay? Yes, of course they did. The pit with the lion is the most interesting one of these because what would cause a man to go down into the pit on a snowy day to fight a lion? My guess is he wasn't doing it for fun. My guess is because, uh, not because he was dared to do it by his friends. My guess is that the lion somehow posed a threat to them, and so he committed to taking care of the problem. That is what it will take from us to become great. It's going to take an unwavering commitment in our life to the greatness that we are chasing. Because it doesn't matter what we're committed to if we're chasing. Like, like if we're, if our, our commitment to greatness is, I want to be the greatest business person, and so we chase after business with everything that we have. Unwavering commitment to that. That's how we're going to get to greatness. And my hope is that all of you are chasing greatness in the kingdom of God. See, greatness in God's kingdom does not say I can't get involved here because it may interfere with my plans that I have on the weekend. Greatness says we will do whatever it takes to make the name of Jesus great, even if I can't always do what I want to do. See, my desire is that all of you, after hearing this, this list of men and women that were honored because of their commitment to the mission, because of their commitment to the king, will want to make this same kind of list one day for the king of kings. Because what we need to know is that Okay, we're saved, we, we believe in Jesus, we're following him, yes, one day we're going to go to heaven, but do you understand that when we get to heaven, it still says the books are going to be opened, and your life is going to be read before everybody's standing in attendance there. All right, somebody's excited about having that happen. But what do you want them to read when you stand before all of those who have gone before and all of those who will come after us? Do you want them to read, I didn't get committed here because of this, I didn't get committed there because of that, I didn't, um, I didn't take risk here because of, you know, do you want that or do you want to read like 2 Samuel 23 read and they say, surely, You went and you fought the battle. You went out there with a sword and you battled until your hand cramped up and you continued to fight the enemies and continued to push back the darkness and because of you standing your ground and fighting your battle, these people are here in heaven today. What do you want to be remembered for? Greatness or something else? Then the third thing that leads us to greatness is serving others. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but it's very relevant here. The soldiers in Second Samuel, the American soldiers that have died in combat, they were serving others. They made the decision that somebody else's life was worth their life. That's powerful. Have you guys seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? At the end of the movie, as, uh, as, um, as, as, as he's dying, I can't remember the name of the, I just want to say Captain Dan, but that's uh, Forrest Gump. That's a different movie. <laughs> yeah, he says he's dying, and the guy who was trying to save uh, Private Ryan said, earn this, earn this. And then at the end of the movie he's standing before his grave making his case for the reason that his life was worth saving. There's lives worth saving through this city, through this county, through this state, through this world. And our serving can be the difference between somebody crossing over into eternity and spending eternity with God or not. See, that is the kind of power our service has. And so many times we forget about it. We think, oh, the church is just looking for free labor. No, we're not looking for free labor. I want people to live up to their fullest potential and everything that God has for them in their life. And one of the greatest tools, one of the greatest weapons that we have is to serve. Jesus said, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's what we are called to as well. We are called as a people to serve. And so if we want to do, if we want to be something great, we have to serve. And then finally, in closing, if we want to do something great, we need to remember that at the end of our life, the things that we are going to regret are the lions that we did not chase into the pit. See, there's never been a person that I am aware of that came to their end of their life that achieved great things, especially great things for God, and said, you know what, I really regret taking those risks. I really regret fighting those lions. Instead, most of the people come to their lives thinking more like this. And we're going to show a video clip from the movie Schindler's List. And this is how many people think when they get to the end of their life. Saves one life, saves the world entire. That there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. If I made more money, <laughs> I threw away so much money. <laughs> you have no idea if I just... There will be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough did so much. This car. Good, what about this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for it. At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person, stand For this. I could have got one more person. When we come to the end of our life, what are we going to look like? Are we going to look like Schindler there standing there saying, I could have done more. He wanted to buy people out of the concentration camps. Where are we going to be at? Man, let's not waste our life Searching for greatness that doesn't matter. Let's spend our life finding greatness that counts. Finding greatness that matters. Chasing after true greatness. Where we take risks. Where we commit. Where we serve. So that we can stand at the end and celebrate with those whose lives have been impacted and made a difference because we chose that we were gonna be great for the kingdom of God. We were gonna get on that battlefield with the weapons that God has given us and fight the battles that he challenged us to fight with. Guys, let's get a hold of this greatness. Let's not leave it here in this room, but let's, let's just be challenged to walk out those doors today and say, God, you know what? I want to be someone great, God, I want to be someone who does what it takes so when those books are opened at the end of time and they read the accomplishments or the things that I've done in my life, that people are amazed at what God did through me. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.